Hello and welcome to the Revenue Architect podcast. I'm your host, Arnie Gulov-Singh, and my guest today is Matt Benelli, co-founder of Coachum. And the reason I think you're going to enjoy this conversation is because Matt is deep in a problem that affects every company that has a sales team, coaching frontline sales managers to get the best out of their reps. Matt, welcome to the pod. How are you doing? Doing awesome, Arnie. Thanks for having me. Matt, I really appreciate you being here. Uh, maybe can you kick us off telling us about Coachum and the problem you're solving? Absolutely. So Coachum, uh, we're on a mission to positively impact the thousands of, in- of interactions that salespeople are having with managers or managers are having with their employees on a weekly basis uh, in this crazy world of sales. And so we want to help managers be the best coaches and the best developers of people. And the result of that is individual growth um, personally and professionally, but it's also organizational growth. And Arnie, the problem, and, and you alluded to it right at the top, right? The problem that's been emerging over the past 10 plus, maybe more years is that the investment in people, the investment in process and technology has increased exponentially while performance it's essentially halved. It's halved. Right? Wow. Think about it. Like when when we were getting started in this business, you know, there was the so-called 80-80 rule. 80% of the salespeople made 80% of the number or more. And, you know, uh, the business could be built and modeled predictably on that. Those days are over. Why do you think that is? That I remember that 80-80 and I hear it a lot still like in the especially with like tops down planning, quota capacity planning, um, people still think in that mindset. What, what do you think's changed that's kind of driven, driven the performance to essentially half? Well, certainly the, we ask this question all the time of uh, anyone who will listen, uh, you know, of our customers and prospects. And, and what we hear, certainly things like uh, the landscape has changed, uh, the amount of competition has increased, and certainly leaders are put on the hot seat to try to solve these problems, right? They've made the investments in people. They create the incentives for the sales team. They invest in technology. Look, the technology stacks proliferated. The average uh, number of tools in the stack is at least five. And the companies that we talk to all the time, you and I, Arnie, it's, it's a lot more than that. And so I think what it comes down to a couple things. One is those investments aren't always aligned. So the incentives aren't aligned with the investment in the training. And thirdly, it's people don't always see where, how and where and how the tools can help them. And so, you know, they don't know how to use them on a daily basis. So that's one thing. But from Coachum's point of view, Arnie, we believe the, the battleground is the frontline manager. We believe the answer is coaching. And what I mean by coaching is focusing on developing the skill sets of people to be successful in their current role while also preparing them for the the next role, right? That employee journey within the company. And I don't want this to come off as a a finger pointing at the frontline manager, right? Uh, Right. You know, I certainly have done that role. That's where I got a lot of the gray hair. And it, it, many will say it's the hardest job in the company. But, so hard. Um, it's so hard. So you know, hard. it's so hard, Matt, because, you know, like so many frontline managers are also in their first management role. 
And I think in any function, when you go from being an individual contributor to a manager, uh, it changes. The things you have to do change. But in sales, going from an AE to a sales manager, it's it's a completely different set of skills. And I'm curious, you know, you've talked to a lot of first-time or frontline sales managers, first-time managers. What are the skills gaps that you see need to be filled? Arnie, you're talking about the classic battlefield promotion. Hey, you did a hey, rep, you did a great job this year. Congratulations. You're a manager. Now you can do the same thing uh, with 10 people and you know, perhaps get paid less. <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, and I think it it brings up the question is like, why do superstars like Michael Jordan, uh basketball, Wayne Gretzky, you know, pick your uh athlete? Why are these great players, why don't they go on to become great coaches? And the the answer is, is probably multidimensional, but I think what happens is they is that frontline manager believes he or she has to be successful based on what they know, right? So they feel like they have to do all of it. And so, you know, think about it this way. That's uh, so true. Sorry to interrupt you. Like, yeah. Just thinking about carrying the team, like Michael Jordan carries a team, Wayne Gretzky carried the team. And, but uh, yeah, as a sales manager, you, you don't want to carry the team. If you carry the team, you're doing the job for them. It's just such a good analogy. Sorry, carry on, but just, yeah, well, uh, that was a really well, good one. Well, Wayne, I mean, uh, Michael Jordan, he, he car- could have carried his team. He was good enough to carry a team right. for a lot, for a big stretch, but he had a fantastic team. And that's why they won so many NBA championships because he didn't have to carry the team. And if you think about it, uh, the average sales team right now is achieving 43% of target. So we talked about the 80-80 rule, right? That's out the window. The average sales team today, after all of the investments, after all the work, uh, is is performing at about half of what it did uh, 10 years ago. And it's not uncommon for one or two people to carry the team, right? So if the team's doing over 100%, it's not uncommon on a team of 10 to have one or two Michael Jordan types while the other eight are drowning in a pool of underperformance and stress. And, and so our, our advice to frontline managers is to step back and remember what got you there. But your role as a leader, as a manager, is to achieve success through others. So it's not about you. It's not about you doing the work. It's about how to get people bought in to your system of doing things and and coaching each one of them individually to to raise the performance, um, not only of the individuals, but of the entire team. Sounds like you're talking there about a couple of things, talking about delegation so not trying to do it all yourself probably talking a bit about planning so how are you setting goals for people that they can actually attain and then of course you're talking about coaching and curiously those are three things that come to mind for me kind of skills maybe that you'd have to learn as a as a new manager um, are there any others the things that you know a new manager can do that will help them be more successful so Arnie, can I pose a question to you and, and to your yeah. to your listeners? So, if if you're a manager, what would you do differently as a manager if you focused on each one of your employees as if he or she was the biggest deal that you were going to close all year? Meaning, when you were a top sales rep, what do, what do top sales reps do that allows them to cultivate and close 
let's call it multi-million dollar deals? We know the answers are things like building relationships and trust, asking great questions, challenging the status quo, um, learning how to negotiate, give and get, time management, priority management. This is how great salespeople close huge deals. Now, if you extrapolate that and say, okay, each one of my employees is like the biggest deal, what would you do? You'd allocate time to them. You'd prioritize them. You'd ask them questions. You'd challenge them to get out of their comfort zone. You know, you'd negotiate with them where, you know, just like any good parent does, you know, there's some elements of negotiation there. Yeah. But to, to firmly answer your, your question, more directly answer your question, you're talking about a coaching framework, right? And, and so what is something that all frontline managers can endeavor to adopt to, you know, make that transition successfully? And I think it comes down to six, six elements, right? Um, trust, number one, if you don't have trust, you don't have anything. Uh, number two, personalized focus so on, on specific areas in which you want the person to improve. So if I have, you know, uh, Tony and Tina on the team, right? Tony may need to improve in one area. Tina may need to improve in the other. How I coach them has to be individualized. It has to be personalized. Number three is role modeling. And this is a big problem, right? Because people don't grow up with good role modeling for what good coaching looks like. So People need to know how to do it and what it good sounds like. And so that's where the manager needs to show and be vulnerable in that area. Uh, number four, deliberate practice, right? And which, which needs to be uncomfortable. It needs to be iterative. Uh, number five, immediate feedback from the supervisor. So immediate feedback from the manager on how you're doing. And number six, it needs to be consistent. Those are the six pillars of a coaching framework that we believe are most important. You know, those are really good pillars. And going back to the question you posed me, which I thought was a fantastic one, is imagine, going to paraphrase it, butcher a bit, but imagine each of the people on your team was the biggest deal you were trying to close. And what would you do as a great salesperson? And if you think about the trust, personalized focus, role modeling, deliberate practice, immediate feedback, consistency, these are things you would do in a deal. You would, you build trust. You, you you know you try and demonstrate credibility quickly in a sales process by bringing insights or demonstrating you understand the customer's business so i think a lot of managers will say like yeah i understand what it's like to be an ae but then they sort of they don't do the personalized focus because they just say do it like me you know yes and i think that personalized focus it you know the analogy that jumped out to me when you posed me that question was you know, great AEs personalize um, the pitch to the needs of the customer. So they ask the right questions, they follow up, they're listening. And then when they prescribe the solution or demo the product, they're tying it back to what the customer cared about. Whereas average and underperforming reps, they just like ask some questions, don't really listen. And then they just feature dump in a demo. And if you, if you think about like treating all of your AEs the same way is a bit like feature dumping. You're saying, do it like me. You're not, um, you, you know, you're not really understanding what they need and then helping them. You're just trying to say, here's, this is me, be like me or go away. And obviously like, just like when you sell a product, not everybody needs to see the whole product. I think what you're saying is when you coach someone, 
people don't need to be coached on everything and they oh. don't definitely don't need to be like you i think it's re that's really really that that analogy i think is really going to land with sales people who were you know the battlefield promotion like you said yeah. you know you're great ae now you're going to be a manager i think that's a really really killer piece of advice so, so that do it like me that's the death knell of the michael jordan or wayne gretzky as a coach because the vast majority of people couldn't perform at their level they couldn't do it like them that's why they're the best of the best but also to your point it's the best style is your style is the individual style and i think what a manager's job is to figure out where people's strengths are and have them work to accentuate those strengths right so that's where the personalized coaching is. And I know you and I touched a little bit on uh, parenting, not that either one of us is necessarily running for parent of the year, but um, we were talking earlier, and to paraphrase it, we I think we agreed that uh, our kids are different. Each one of them is different, and they have different interests, different focus areas, different strengths, et cetera. And nobody wants to hear, no kid wants to hear, uh, oh, you should do it like mom or dad did it, or you should do it like your brother or sister, even worse, right? That, that That's the worst. Well, it's the same thing in, in sales. Don't do it like me. Don't do it like this rep. Figure out what your style is, and then how do we help you hone the skills to be the best version of yourself? Does that make sense? Oh, 100%. I'm fractional CRO Athena right now, and our CEO, her father-in-law is uh, General David Petraeus. Um, he's a very ah, distinguished yeah. career in the military. And she said that his advice to her is in leadership, you have to personalize the the way you treat each of your each of your direct reports. And I was honestly shocked when I heard that. I thought the military, that surely they treat everyone the same, but it just shows doesn't matter if you're doing sales or you're doing the military or doing sports, you know, personalized focus, personalized coaching. Treating the people as individuals is how you get the best out of them. There's a, I think it's a Simon Sinek quote. People don't care what you know until they know that you care about them. And so it doesn't matter how great of a player or how great of a coach or how great of a salesperson you are. If you're the leader, your people don't care how good you are. And they're not listening to you until they know that you have their back, until they know that you care about them. And um, I've read some books uh, about uh, General Petraeus, and he certainly was reputed to be someone who cared deeply about his people. Everybody wants to feel like they're in control of their own destiny, but they also want help. They don't want to have to do it all by themselves. And I think big part of leadership is figuring out with the individual that you're talking to, how much do they want the control and how much do they want to be led? And in what areas do they want to be led and what areas do they want to be in control? Um, and you, you know, you find it out through, through caring, you find it out through learning and asking and asking questions, seeing how people respond. You know, you mentioned also, uh, deliberate practice. Um, can you maybe go a little bit deeper there? What, what does that entail? So, um, Deliberate practice is a phrase borrowed from, um, I think, books Peak Performance by Anders Ericsson. Um, Anders Ericsson, uh, kind of known from uh, Malcolm Gladwell's book, uh, Outliers, uh, the 10,000 Hours Rule. And mm. uh, mercifully, that's been somewhat debunked or, or more refined. So we don't always have to have 10,000 hours. Wait, wait. You're saying we don't have to do 10,000 sales calls before we can be good at sales? <laughs> 
not to be good. Uh, it, it, it's it's encouraged, uh, but you can certainly make uh, progress along the way, which I hope is good news for everybody out there. Um, but d- deliberate practice. So the, we, I talked about one of the pillars of a coaching framework being a specific focus on an area of improvement. And so let's say if you're an SDR, that could be how you open up uh, a, a cold call or a warm call. If you're um, uh, an AE, it could be how you transition from understanding a high level pain point to going down into that those deeper level probing questions to quantify the impact of the pain in, let's say, dollar terms. Um, it could be uh, handling the competition if they say, hey, this is a great proposal, Arnie, but your competition's doing it for 30% less. What do you say? And so you you mentioned it earlier. You can't coach the call. Right, these call intelligence systems like Gong and Chorus and and um, and Q, they're phenomenal. But the the reality is, like, what when you're coaching, what is it that you're coaching? Are you coaching the corner kick in soccer? Are you coaching the goal line defense? Are you you know what specific element of the call are you coaching? And so it's deliberate practice on that, right? And so maybe it's hey, so what does your company do? Boom. What is your value proposition? What's your capsule statement? What's your pain benefit statement? What's your hook question? And then just practicing that and getting feedback on that specific element of the call that Anders Ericsson called thin slicing, thin slices, Hmm. small pieces of the call, not the entire call itself. You can listen to a whole call and kind of get a bit lost in it, but picking out those key moments. I always find that the most coachable moments are when the customer says something and the what the salesperson says is not a continuation it doesn't it doesn't kind of build on what the customer said your classic band like do you have budget great okay do you have authority great do you have need okay great not you have budget oh how much budget oh how are you thinking about budget like Oh, how did you come up with that budget you know like there's there's not like um the need there's not like um, a curiosity and like you said, you can't script it out. You have to find comfort in how you ask those questions yourself. But like, it all starts with listening. I mean, as we're talking here, I'm taking just furious amount of notes because I'm not very good at listening. But I found that like writing down reminds me and I can go back and, and reference things. But like some people are incredibly good at listening would find writing, you know, really, really distracting. So um, I think it's, yeah, really like finding that the style that works, but but ultimately that delivers the result that that you need, which is engaging your customer, showing them that they can trust mm. you, showing them that you're paying attention, that personalized focus, you know, and, and you know, being deliberate. Um, you also mentioned uh, immediate Arnie, feedback. Oh, I, go, sorry, go ahead. Onion, can I peel the onion back a little bit? On yeah, please do. So, so you, you talked about um, when you're listening to calls where the rep, sales rep, may not piggyback on what the customer or the prospect just said, right? They go to their next, you know, bant question, right? They go to their list of prepared questions. And, you know, I guess the rhetorical question back is what message does that send? And, you know, again, there's questions that we, we know these jobs are hard. I know you've done a lot of work uh, looking at the SDR roles, uh, you know, fairly recently. I saw some of your work there. 
but the SDRs commonly have a list of prepared questions, and they're yeah. usually things that aren't of much value to the prospect. Right. What systems are you running? How many people do you have? How are you doing things today? Right. That's all trying to decide so that they can tee up for the AE. Is this a good opportunity? How big is it? You know, that those yeah. types of things. So it becomes the dangerous. It becomes an interrogation instead of a conversation. Yeah. Not that those questions aren't important, but I think you'd agree. Those are the types of questions that you have to earn the right to ask, not something that anybody who doesn't really know you wants to talk about in the first 60 seconds of, of, a, of a conversation or a call. Yeah, totally. And it goes back to the the trust thing. You know, if you, you're SDR, you get on a call, uh, you're trying to establish trust, um, especially with a cold call, but even if it's a warm call, you're, you're often the first person at your company that has talked to this buyer. So demonstrating trust is is uh you know through demonstrating credibility is a good way to establish trust and you know, I always think like these questions could be so much better if they just had a bit of context like well many folks in your situation uh generally have these kinds of systems because they you know there's some integration problem is that kind of what you're seeing like it's a very it's the same way of asking like what systems are you using in order to qualify you but it's you know, it's just like asking in a different way. And I think because that role, SDRO, it's, you know, it was created for very like junior people. It got really like dumbed down, but at the same time, hiring college grads who are not dumb because like it's quite hard to get into college, you know? So mm-hmm. um, I think there's, there's always a little bit of a disconnect there, but yeah, the, I really love the idea of trust and personalized, for, the, the, basically applying the coaching framework, thinking of it in terms of what made you a, successful ae um now you're going to sort of treat your employees your direct reports like deals or or like your you know your most valuable deals um that will get you to goal because if you do you will get to goal because they will hit their goals so i've never heard anyone describe it that way and i've seen so many coaching frameworks and i just think like the way you described it really lands with somebody who is making making that transition because it's very it's very it's very tangible the challenge is it's uh it's not easy. It's a lot easier to say, here's what you need to do, or even worse, step out of the way and let mm-hmm. me do it. Watch, watch the master, watch how it's done. That's easier in the short term. And think about how incentive systems work, how reward systems work for not only salespeople, but for for sales managers, for sales leaders, it's about the deal. It's about the short-term performance, which makes it much more challenging to exercise coaching behavior as opposed to directive behavior, i.e. it's more difficult to teach versus to tell. Yeah, so that kind of leads me on to the next question I had for you, which is, um, let's say I've got eight salespeople and I need to figure out quickly who needs what help. Um, and obviously, like I look at my pipeline or whatever, and I can look at their performance. But we've got all these tools now that we talked about um, available to a sales manager. What's your advice for sort of how to approach how to approach using those tools in order to figure out who needs what um, type of coaching? Sure. Well. Um... There's a tongue-in-cheek answer here because that that's a you know that's easy uh, that's where Coachum comes in um, and this is not a, a a commercial for Coachum 
but I'll get I'll get to that in a second. Look, the the the, the tech stacks has it has never been larger or more complex. Managers don't have the time to sift through the data, right? So you know CRM, whatever CRM system you're using, it has if if the if the inputs are in there, it's got great data. Um, if you have a, a conversational intelligence technology, you're recording. You know it that's pure gold, right? email, the calendar, it can tell a lot. But the managers don't have time to listen to every single call. They don't have time to look at um, every single aspect of Salesforce um, or the calendar. What are you doing today? Let me look at your calendar. And and so, and, and they certainly, Arnie, don't need somebody telling them that they need to close more business, right? No, no kidding. Like, thanks. Thanks, coach. You know, um, I, I tell the story, I, I wrote about this recently, where a friend of mine, uh, best friend growing up, he was uh, on, on a uh, college lacrosse team. And it was, a, uh, it, they were down by one in the playoffs. And the coach with 13 seconds left called a timeout, 30 second timeout. And they were sitting there in the huddle waiting for these words of wisdom and inspiration. And the coach just like started getting redder and redder and redder. And the the referees like, come on, you guys got to come back onto the field. And with like two seconds left in the timeout, the coach uh, blurbs out, you got to score a goal. Really? Thanks. Thanks, Captain Obvious. Like really. So anyway, I, I digress, but. What um, what Coachem and and look what systems like Coachem are, are, are designed to do? It's designed to take the prep work and the guesswork um, out of the interaction, out of the coaching session. So how do we take si- the technology sifts through the data and and then tells the manager, hey, here's the signal within the noise. Yes. Um, this person's average deal size is trending down. Yes, this person's sales cycle is too long, but here might be why. They're not securing a next step after each meeting. They're not getting enough of the decision makers on the call. And then, Arnie, and here's where the, I think the uh, the rubber meets the road. Here's what to do about it. Here are five different uh things that you could prescribe to this individual rep based on the problem that he or she is happening, something you can assign to them that they can do. It's almost like homework between now and our next one-on-one next week. So managers don't need, they don't have time to sift through the data. They need direction on what is the underlying cause and most importantly, what to do about it. And that's what Coachum does. And that's what technologies like Coachum are designed to do to help uh, take the prep work and the guesswork. Um, they can imagine it, Imagine if that lacrosse coach had had like a couple of assistant coaches that had been analyzing the game, analyzing the opposition, figuring out what the, the gaps were, figuring out where the shape of their own team was quite not quite right, given that to the coach. And, and then the coach could just, you know, deliver it. The head coach could just deliver it. Like they wouldn't have just said, score another goal, close another deal. It would have been like, you know, I mean, I, I follow a lot of soccer and, you, you know, like you can, you can see things like, oh, the, 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 the opposing team is defending with a very high line and we keep trying to play out the back through their line. And like, we keep, we keep losing the ball. Let's go play a long ball over the top. And because we've got a couple of fast attackers, just put one one on the left, one on the right, play long balls, 
and then midfield, you know, you sprint up and we're going to at least create a chance, you know, because closing a deal, you got to have a shot at closing the deal, which means you got to get to the, you know, you got to get all the pieces in place so that you can, you know, you got, you got a chance of being selected. Um, same thing with a, scoring a goal, like you've got to create the opportunity. You've got to get, you know, the ball in the box and someone there to put it in the goal. So yeah, there's a lot of, uh, we, we've used a lot of sporting uh, metaphors in this conversation, which is, which is good because I think they're very relatable. Um, but it really is very, very similar. Um, and you know, you think about you sell someone close more deals. Well, they, they can create more ops, but they also like have to move those ops forward in a way that like they're not just sort of saying, Hey, this is a proposal because I'm giving you a proposal. It's like, mm-hmm. it's got to really be there. And so, you know, the going back to what we talked about with having the process in place to make sure that deals are really where they should be um, so that you can, you know, you can coach them and you, you, um, I really, you know, we talked about the immediacy of feedback um, as something that I think is, is really important. Like it would be amazing if you got off a call and immediately he's got, you, you learn like what wasn't good about because it, it, otherwise you start forgetting about it. Um, whereas if I come and tell you about a call from a month ago, you'd be like, I don't remember it. How do you see that kind of decay? Like what have you seen actually work well? Like what's realistic in terms of immediacy? Well, leveraging the technology that's out there today really helps with that because, you know, it, the, like as we said, the manager can't be on on every call, but these call intelligence systems can help with this. So, for example, um, and by the way, the manager can't chase down everybody either. He or she doesn't have time. So, hmm. for example, a client that we work with, here, here's how they leverage all of this. They, they'll say, okay, we want to work um, on, you know, this specific objection. And maybe the objection is... Hey, thanks for the proposal, but can you do better on the price? Right, I'm mm-hmm. making it up. So now this is an example where with our clients, every rep gets some version of that objection or, or question, whatever you want to call it. And so, but I've listened to thousands of these calls and a lot of too often the rep gets tongue-tied. They don't know what to say, even though they know they're going to get the question. And so what uh, the feedback could be, okay, um, he, the manager says to the rep, um, this week, by the end of the week or by the end of the day, I want you to send me a snippet of a call that you had where you ran into that situation and how you handled it. And and then let's break it down. And so what's happening there is the manager is creating a poll strategy where the these situations are coming to them. These, they're, they're basically the coaching opportunities are raining upon them. And then, th- then they execute the feedback portion, right? And the feedback framework is, right? And everybody's got a little bit of a different version, but the framework is, what did you, you know, hey, rep, what did you do well? Where do you think you, you know, could improve? Right? But you start off with what you could you do well. What did you do well? Where do you think you could improve? Let me tell you where I thought you did well. Here's where I think you could improve. And like, like, and then let's try it. How would that sound? Role play it. For example, and then I could mod, I could model it as the manager. I could go first. And then I say, you try it. And I give you feedback and I say, try it again. And I give you some more feedback and I try it again. And you see that the how easy it is and how effective it is to take one little nugget of feedback and and put it into your repertoire, put it into your talk track. And then that meets the definition of what we were talking about before, which is 
um, deliberate practice. It's uncomfortable. It's very specific. It's got feedback, right? Thin slicing, right? And then you and and then people just see the light go off, and and they they understand at the end of these sessions what they did well, where they can improve, and they practiced on how to improve. Does that make sense? Oh, hundred percent. I I love the. What do you think went well? What do you think could be improved? First of all, I love, you know, send me a snippet because it's it's saying, you know, you need to take ownership of your career and your development. And then I love the role play. And I love the, okay, I'll be you and you be your customer. So ask me the difficult question. And then swapping it around, um, what you just said there reminds me of a story, um, kind of the one of the ultimate pricing objection handling scenarios I've ever been involved with. It was about eight years ago. Uh, we were selling our company. The CEO and I were doing most of the work ourselves. And we had a buyer uh, in Yahoo that was very interested in us. And uh, the CEO of my company was going to meet with the CEO of Yahoo uh, in the evening that day. And uh, she was really concerned that the CEO of Yahoo was going to try and renegotiate the price. And so we sat down and uh, kind of came up with a strategy and said, basically, look, if she tries to lower the purchase price, just say, that's fine. We'll put it into the earnout because it's kind of the same outcome uh, for everyone, but obviously gives the CEO of Yahoo a win. And, uh, and so my CEO and I um, sat down and I said, look, you pretend to be a CEO of Yahoo, I'll be you. You ask me the question um, and I'll give you a response. And so so we did it. Then we reversed roles and uh, I played the CEO of Yahoo and my CEO played herself and she kind of got comfortable with the really simple answer. And um, so that night she goes to see the CEO of Yahoo at her house, calls me the, later that night and she says, oh my God, it went exactly like you said it was. It said said it would. Um, she said, "Hey, I really want to do the deal, but I've got to like knock ten million off the purchase price." So I said, "That's fine. Just put it into the earnout." She said, "Yes, great. It's all done." And she said, "You know, I'm so so glad that we rehearsed that and prepared because uh, we've just saved ourselves ten million dollars." So um, perhaps not, you know. $10 million is perhaps not what you would save on a, you know, on a typical enterprise software deal. But I think the concept is absolutely the same. Yeah. I mean, there's so many analogies there, but you're, what you're talking about is preparation, right? So think of any, anybody who watches game film. I mean, what mm. conversational intelligence is the business version of game film. Right. And so, okay, well here, you know, here's the objection that you got in the past and you struggled with it. How are you going to do a better job when you get it next time? Cause we all know there's going to be a next time. And then that objection comes and it's like a big grapefruit, you know, right down the middle of the plate and you can whack it away. And, you know, in the Marines, we, we had a saying, um, proper preparation prevents piss poor performance. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, what you're talking about, I mean, you prepared it's, it's a few extra steps that you know, it takes time. But I think uh, anyone who does it agrees that they're glad they did it and, and it makes sense. It helps. I love that. I, I remember hearing that when I was uh, when I was in England and I had a boss who kind of drilled that into us. I had no idea it was from the Marines. 
Um, it was, no and, and they, they just, I'm sure they just borrowed it from somebody else. But yeah, because um, saying "piss poor" that's very English. <laughs> well, very you know, the the U.S. Marines took a lot from the from the uh, Royal Marines, right? Yeah. But you know, you know what the rule of three are, Arnie is right. The rule of three is uh, yep. the first time you hear something, you got to give somebody credit, it's very specific credit. Hey, you know, my my colleague Arnie, I heard this quote from him, and the next time you hear it. You're like, uh, hey, you know, somebody I heard once said, and then the third time you use it, it's yours. You own it. So <laughs> I love that. I'm going to, I mean, I'm going to use that. I'm literally going to use that. I'm going to give you credit next time. Then I'm going <laughs> to <laughs> water it down along Take the way. Right? Steal like an artist. I think that's another good book out there. Steal like an I love that. Matt, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Uh, we're coming up on time here. Um, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today and good luck uh, continue to build coach him awesome arnie uh likewise thank you very much for having me and i uh, look forward to uh, talking to you in the near future good luck out there.